This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Summer's here, a great time to watch and play baseball. It's also a good time to know how to recognize causes of shoulder and elbow pain in that pitching arm or with other overhead sports like volleyball, tennis, or if you have a job that entails raising your arms like being a painter, or if you work in a warehouse. It is my very good fortune to welcome this evening's outstanding guest, Dr. Mark Lazarus. Dr. Lazarus, Director of the Shoulder and Elbow Service in the Rothman Orthopedic Institute and a Professor of Orthopedic Surgery in the Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University here in Philadelphia. He's a highly respected as a master in the world of orthopedics. He's lectured around the world about extensive research on all aspects of shoulder and elbow surgery, including shoulder and elbow replacement. He's designed shoulder prostheses and is a true innovator in the field of arthroscopic surgery. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for being here this evening. Thank you so much for inviting me. Mark, I have to start with a very important question. Were you the surgeon who operated on Rookie of the Year in that movie? <laughs> I wish. All of, my patients, probably... all of my patients throw over 100 miles an hour when I'm done with them. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know your movie trivia. You were probably yeah. about six years old when that was made. Yeah, you're, 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 you're lying and flattering at the same time, oh, so I'll uh, take it. I just need, need you to fix my shoulder if I ever heard it. So tell us, should we begin with the anatomy of the shoulder so listeners have a basic understanding? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's a great place to start, primarily for the reasons um, that you mentioned in your introduction. So the shoulder really is an amazing joint. Uh, when you think about all of the activities that you described, overhead throw, overhead tennis, volleyball, carrying heavy things, um, things like push-ups, uh, the shoulder has to be designed to, to have the greatest range of motion of any joint in the body, yet to be stable and strong enough for things like carrying heavy objects and, and, and things like push-ups. So, so, so the shoulder gains that those functions by its unique design. And so the best way of thinking about the anatomy of a shoulder is like a golf ball on a golf tee turned on its side. 
Um, and if you think about a golf ball and a golf tee, the ball is far bigger than the tee, and the tee is very shallow. So you can spin that ball in any direction you want, and that's why the shoulder can gain such range of motion and allow it to do the activities that you mentioned. But if you turn the, the, the golf tee on its side, then obviously the, the ball, gravity is no longer holding the ball on the tee, and so the ball wants to fall off. And so, so the muscle structure of the shoulder, and in particular the rotator cuff muscles, which are the muscles that surround the ball and hold the ball in the socket, are what helps stabilize the ball and keep the ball steady in the socket to allow our other strong muscles to, to do all those activities that, that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So it's unlike the pelvic girdle. And I always tell my patients, it's like a garage and the car enters that, that ball and socket picture that people uh, envision. This is a more shallow, this is a smaller garage. And as you say, I love your uh, picture of the golf tee and the ball. And so you need all those uh, other structures, surrounding structures that can cause pain and, and different issues. And so when you're trying to decipher if it's uh, tendon or ligament or bursitis or any of those issues, what questions do you ask the patient to elicit the right information? Well, it's funny because very often the patient will actually uh, give us the answer um, just in, in the, the different um, ways that they describe the mechanical disturbance to their shoulder. And sometimes I'll have um, the medical student or, or, or the resident come out of, out of a room after talking to a patient, and I'll, I'll say to the patient, you made it too easy on them um, because the patient will say, well, you know, I've noticed my shoulder getting weaker with overhead activities, the painter whose arm fatigues. And very often they're telling us that they have some type of tendon tear. Or, or the patient will say, you know, I felt my shoulder feels loose. It feels like it's slipping. I had this injury, and now it just feels like there's movement in the shoulder that shouldn't be there. And that that really leads us towards a problem where the where where the shoulder is unstable and it's hard to center the ball in the socket. And then the arthritic patient will always complain about loss of motion, difficulty reaching, for instance, reaching up their back or reaching overhead. And so very often, just by the patient describing the functional disturbance that they've been feeling during their activities of daily living, it actually will give us the diagnosis. Sure. And I think as we've become, you know, we're practicing at a pretty remarkable time. We have so much technology to help us. But as you say, we tell our medical students and our residents and our fellows, the answer is so often right there in the history. Is your shoulder just causing pain or is it pain and weakness? Two totally different categories. Yes. Yes, and and you know you you have hit upon one of the real beauties of of shoulder surgery is uh, it is still a very hands on specialty. Uh, the MRIs and X rays and things like that are only so accurate, and it's still a specialty where we really need to take a good history from the patient, and it's still a specialty where physical examination uh, is everything. And and I'll have patients who who'll say to me, I have a friend or a relative, you know, can you look at their MRI report for me? And I'll say no. And that's not because I'm trying to be mean. Uh, what I say is oh, I'm happy to examine them. I'll examine them anytime. I'll examine them at a cocktail party. But but right. but I can't I I'm better off making a diagnosis examining them in a corner of a cocktail party than I am looking at their MRI report. Mm-hmm. Then my next thought is how does location of pain help you make the diagnosis? As you know, my dear husband is in your world. He's an orthopod, although he's hip and knee. But I remember him, We were. I told him I, he was thrilled that I was uh, going to be conversing with you tonight. And he said that his teacher 
uh, in his residency, Charlie Near, a uh, shoulder giant like you, uh, would always quote Robert Frost, good fences make for good neighbors. And that oftentimes when a person says their shoulder hurts and, you know, as a resident say, where does it hurt? The person would, the patient would point to his or her neck. So I know neck pathology, like a disc between C5 and C6, well, in the vertebrae, between the vertebrae can cause shoulder pain, but shoulder can go to neck. How do you distinguish? That's a tough one. Yeah. It is. First of all, uh, you know, you mentioning me in the same sentence as Dr. Neer, who was the father of shoulder surgery. I feel like I'm about to get a lightning bolt uh, striking <laughs> me, um, but uh, but I appreciate that. So so yes, there's very often crossover between neck and shoulder. In general, although not always, um, the best way for a patient to think about it is pain in generally goes down. And so neck pain, uh, pain that originates from neck pathology will very often go into the um, upper shoulder, into the shoulder blade, um, whereas true shoulder pain, pain that emanates from problems within the shoulder will very often go actually into the upper arm. And so, so uh, the, the classic um, location for pain, particularly for some of the more common problems in the shoulder is is the upper arm and a patient will actually always grab their upper arm with the palm of their hand i'll say point with one finger and they can't point with one finger they'll use their whole hand to feel their upper arm that is a very classic shoulder um, origin of pain symptom and i would think that most of the time if somebody has shoulder pain that's what we would call musculoskeletal related to their bones or muscles or bursa that it would hurt with motion where as a gi doctor I might think of a hot gallbladder referring pain to the shoulder, or sometimes, you know, we always say to patients, do you have chest pain? No. Do you have pain into your shoulder? But they're not going to hurt when the person moves their shoulder. So all of these are, are important to consider. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Mark Lazarus. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. Today, we're going to talk about binge drinking. A lot of people want to know what is binge drinking. People who binge drink actually don't usually have substance use disorders or alcohol use disorder, but it's incredibly dangerous. So binge drinking is defined as drinking to a blood level of 0.08 or higher within a couple of hours. That's typically about five drinks for men and four for women. Now, if you're saying that sounds like normal drinking, right? Uh-uh, in the scope of the country, that's actually pretty heavy drinking all at one time. One in six people in the U.S. binge drink, and they binge drink on average four times a month, drinking seven drinks when they binge. That's over 17 billion binge drinks a year. The important thing to know about binge drinking is it can not only be harmful, it can actually be deadly. So when somebody binge drinks and their body's not used to that amount of alcohol, they can actually have an alcohol overdose. We're so familiar with opioid overdose, but there's alcohol overdose too and it's just as dangerous. But also in addition to that, car crashes, violence, homicide, suicide, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies. There's a lot of harm that happens from binge drinking. So before you go out there and have a few more drinks than you expected, give that some thought. 
If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction. You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. And we're back with Dr. Mark Lazarus. Mark, we're talking about the shoulder this evening, but you really um, have a, a, a huge practice and all of your research focuses on shoulder and elbow, but there is so much to each that we decided to focus on shoulder pathology and manifestations of. And I guess you would categorize pathology or injury or uh, arthritis, three, three areas. What would they be? In terms of the the most common pathologies that you can see in a shoulder, um, three of the more common problems, and we talked earlier about um, shoulder problems being very often mechanical disturbances, and, and these three problems are, are really descriptive of that. And the, and the first is an unstable shoulder, a shoulder that is slipping in and out of the socket. Um, the second are rotator cuff problems. Um, which uh, is the most common problem in a shoulder, which is which is a a degeneration and sometimes a traumatic tearing of of those rotator cuff muscles, the muscles that hold the ball centered in the socket. And then the last is is arthritis of the shoulder joint itself. And patients can have osteoarthritis. I know you like to distinguish osteoarthritis as sort of wear and tear arthritis, whereas Rheumatoid arthritis can begin at a much younger age, and it's the chronic inflammation, but it leads to the same issue, pain in the shoulder. And so, and I guess we'd have to bring you back to spend a whole segment on our whole show on uh, fractures or broken bones in the shoulder or uh, separation of what you would call the AC joint, the acromium and and the collarbone, the the clavicle. But um, so younger patients are more likely to be playing a sport and have a, a partial or complete dislocation of a shoulder? Yeah, that's actually the beauty of shoulder surgery is, is in my first room, I might see a younger person uh, with a dislocating shoulder. And then 
you know, in the next room, I'll see a, a middle-aged uh, weekend warrior with a rotator cuff problem. And then in, in, the, in the next room, I'll see a 70-year-old tennis player with an arthritic shoulder. So it's a, it's wow. a great specialty. But yes, it's, mm-hmm. it's usually the patient under the age of 40, usually under the age of 30, who suffers from an unstable or a dislocating shoulder. Um, very often there's a, there's an injury, a specific traumatic event that, that caused the first dislocation, but it doesn't have to be as violent an event as, as one might think. And sometimes even just a, a slip, you know, while, while again on the tennis court you slip and, and suddenly, you know, you know, balance yourself with your outstretched hand, that could be enough to cause that first event that causes the shoulder to slip. Because I think in in recent years, I've been seeing patients with a condition, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I have a few patients with Ehlers-Danlos, which means the ligaments are especially lax and that ball is more likely to fall off the tee. Um, but that you don't have to have a, a, a more unusual condition like that to have partial or complete uh, dislocations, right? That's true. And so the, the best way of thinking of instability is with the two extremes. The one extreme being the Ehlers-Danlos patient, which is a patient that has congenital loose ligaments. And they start slipping during simple activities of daily living. They don't need a traumatic event to start them slipping. And then the other extreme is that lacrosse player who, who you know, gets, gets hit and has their arm violently or traumatically dislocated. And that is a pure ligament tear. They're not congenitally loose. That's a true tear of the ligaments. Um, and, and it's a good way of differentiating because the first condition, 85% of people get completely better with nothing but therapy. Whereas the second one, the traumatic one, therapy is unlikely um, to help them. And, and that's where the arthroscopic repairs um, come into play. Mm-hmm. And as you said earlier, you could be at a cocktail party and, you know, name that tune in three notes. You could probably put your hands on the shoulder and say, boop, and have it right 99% of the time. But the MRI has really taken us to a, a new level. Tell us how that's helped to increase accuracy, because all of these uh, puzzle pieces complement each other. Your exam, the history, your exam, your hands-on, and the MR. Tell us how the MRI has helped. Yeah, the MRI is really critical um, for the in-betweens. So what I just described the two extremes of instability, but unfortunately, at least a third of patients fall in between there. And sometimes it's hard to tell, is it more congenital? Is it more traumatic? Um, and the MRI scan, and in this condition, we would use an MRI scan with an injection of dye in the shoulder, um, really defines ligament tears. And before that, we depended on x-ray, wait, I'm not an orthopod, but x-ray um, or arthrograms. How involved was an arthrogram? Was that uncomfortable for people? Uh, it could be uncomfortable. You know, we still, for, for again, for this specific condition, this is the one condition that we still use arthrograms for the MRI um, to, to truly define the ligaments of the shoulder, mm-hmm. to look for that I mean, I know tear. how much... Sure. I know how much MRI has helped us with um, GI issues, the liver, the pancreas. uh, And what people need to remember is the beauty of the MRI is there's no x-ray exposure for the patient. But again, it complements. It's different from other imaging studies like a CAT scan. How about if a patient has a pacemaker and there's a limitation that they can't undergo a go into a magnetic field because it will tell the pacemaker to (laughs) not do its job? Yeah. So the pacemaker. So so 
uh, I'm going to reframe the question uh, because it would be unlikely that the young person with an unstable shoulder would have a pacemaker. So we'll talk about rotator cuff. And so for those patients, if I'm if I need an advanced imaging modality to look for a rotator cuff tear, then the pacemaker patient uh, has one of two options. They can get a CAT scan with an injection of dye in the shoulder. Um, Jefferson also is one of the centers of the, the country that has specialized in ultrasound evaluation for rotator cuffs, and uh, so which is a very simple, quick, um, easy way of, of diagnosing rotator cuff tear. Mm-hmm. And even when I was a student and a resident, ultrasound in general at Jefferson was premier and people from around the country, around the world come to study ultrasound in general. I didn't know that they were, that there was a specific, uh, you know, uh, super uh, center for ultrasound of the shoulder. So before going to surgery, before suggesting surgery, in what situations would you say, let's try physical therapy first? Um, so that's a really good question. Uh, you know, people get the wrong idea when they hear, for instance, rotator cuff tear. Um, patients come into my office fearing um, those words, rotator cuff tear, and they should not. Uh, you know, the, you know we, we think in our minds the word tear is followed by repair. Actually, about 90% of people with a rotator cuff tear get better with physical therapy. Now, what we know is that most rotator cuff tears are not traumatic injuries. They're degenerative injuries. Those tendons degenerate over time with age and with use and 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 our shoulders accommodate or balance themselves to that progressively increasing tear. And when the patient develops pain, usually all it is is an imbalance where the tear just slowly got bigger to the point where they, they couldn't keep up, they couldn't keep balanced. And so, for again, for 90% of people, they will get better from their rotator cuff tear with nothing but physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's music to people's ears because um, uh, people are af- I wouldn't say afraid of surgery. Some people, as you say, think it's a push button thing. Oh, I have this, the surgery is going to fix it. But um, it's a pretty involved undertaking to, to go through surgery. But what's made that a little bit better, uh, what has helped to make surgery uh, less invasive, obviously, is arthroscopy. And you know so much about arthroscopy. Could you explain to patients what that is? I think most listeners have a general understanding, but what is it and how has it revolutionized orthopedic treatment in the past 20, 25 years? So, yes. So the arthroscope um, has uh, revolutionized our care. So the arthroscope is, is just a, a small four millimeter tube um, that is placed into the shoulder through some very small poke holes. And um, through the years, we've designed specialty arthroscopic instruments um, that, that allow us to do things like fix ligament tears in a patient with a slipping shoulder or or fixed rotator cuff tears um, that that we really needed wide open, large incisions cutting through muscle um, in the old days, and 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 the trauma of that was really um, a, a difficult thing for patients to recover from. And we would see stiff shoulders, we would see infected shoulders, and so the arthroscope has revolutionized, particularly the treatment of the unstable shoulder, and and most importantly the treatment of rotator cuff tearing. And, and I've been um, helping develop a technique um, where, where although most repairs of rotator cuffs use anchors, which are metals and plastic devices that are p- placed into the bone to secure stitches to the bone, um, I've helped actually 
pioneer technique where we don't use anchors at all. I actually have a little device that I can put in through the through the poke holes to actually make tunnels through the bone um, and then suture the rotator cuff back down to the bones. So when it's all said and done, the only thing the patient has in their shoulder is their own rotator cuff and just suture. That's incredible. I know um, when you talk too about the physical therapy after surgery, because you don't want a person to get a frozen shoulder, my dad was a funeral director, and um, oftentimes he was directing, but sometimes it helped lift, lift the, a casket. So he had bursitis in his shoulder, and uh, I, and myself, I broke my elbow ice skating one time, and it hurt so much. There's a capsule around the shoulder, but I said, I'm fine. I have a working hand. I'm just never going to move my elbow again. And my dad said, I'm, I don't need that shoulder. I'm good. You know, but people, we can talk about the therapy in a little bit, but you know, you bring that in. It's so important. Um, so arthroscopy, you again have been such a pioneer. A person can have uh, a shoulder replacement. Tell us about that. So shoulder replacement is the primary treatment for arthritis. Um, you mentioned um, the two most common types of arthritis. There are specific arth arthritis types that we actually only get in the shoulder. Um, and the, the most common one, other than the two you mentioned, is rotator cuff arthritis, which is mm. arthritis that comes from having a big rotator cuff tear over a long period of time. And although we've been doing regular shoulder replacement for years where we replace the ball with a ball and the socket with a socket, anatomic shoulder replacement, that never worked for rotator cuff tear arthritis. And again, think about the golf ball and the golf tee. If you don't have enough rotator cuff to hold the ball centered in the socket, then it doesn't matter whether it's a bony ball or a metal ball, the ball will slip in the socket. And so um, over the last 15 to 20 years in the United States, we've been doing something called reverse replacement, where the ball goes on the socket and the cup goes on the arm side. We reverse things. And it's really revolutionized the care of shoulder arthritis, particularly rotator cuff arthritis, that arthritis that comes from having a longstanding rotator cuff tear. That's just incredible. Uh, Mark, let's take a little break and hear more when we come back about shoulder uh, replacement and reverse replacement. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. This is Emily Rubin, registered dietitian with Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Thomas Jefferson University Celiac Center and the PR Chair for the Academy of Philadelphia Dietetic Association presenting you with your tip of the week. And we are presenting our third segment on the gluten-free diet and the hidden sources of gluten. One of the number one places where patients can get hidden sources of gluten is at restaurants. So even though restaurants may feature an extensive gluten-free menu, you need to make sure that they actually prepare it gluten-free. So you would want to ask the server to make sure that they're not preparing the chicken where there could be flour or bread or pasta, or they're changing the water that they may use for gluten-free pasta versus regular pasta. Other hidden sources of gluten when dining out are French fries. Most fryers cook foods other than fries. They'll put breaded chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks, wings. Again, this would contaminate the fryer, so you need designated fryers. 
So if you decide you want to go to a diner and decide to have eggs for breakfast, are they cooking those eggs on the same grill as pancakes and French toast? And did you know that actually some restaurants added pancake batter to their omelets to make them fluffy? Well, all that does is add gluten to your meal. Pizza. So even if pizza is labeled gluten-free, is it actually, or prepared gluten-free, is it on the same pan as regular pizza? It can be cooked in the same oven, but you definitely want to look for a separate pan and even a separate slicer and ask. And what about at Chinese or Japanese foods or Asian foods? Soy sauce. That's the number one hidden gluten contaminant that is found in those foods. Soy sauce is made from something called wheat or hydrolyzed vegetable protein. Most restaurants use soy sauce, so you can ask for a gluten-free soy sauce or even bring your own. Another hidden source of gluten is the California sushi roll, where they make it with surmi, which is an imitation crab that also contains wheat. So next time you order sushi, make sure you order tuna or salmon or fresh fish. And then what about the movie theater popcorn? Well, again, that butter that they put on the movie theater popcorn or even the butter that it's cooked in could also contain gluten. Other sneaky sources of gluten, prescription medications and vitamin supplements. Just because your doctor prescribes you a medication that you pick up at a pharmacy, we don't know if it's necessarily gluten-free. Where is it actually coming from? What manufacturer? There's also a website called glutenfreedrugs.com. Also, when it comes to vitamins, Motrin, anything you take over the counter, you have to make sure that it's labeled gluten-free. And also, what about lipstick, lip balm, chapstick, mouthwashes, toothpaste? Again, anything that goes into your mouth will come into your intact with your intestinal tract and therefore could contain gluten. So always check with the manufacturer to make sure they're labeled gluten-free. This is Emily Rubin wrapping up the nutrition tip of the week. For more information, you could log on to yourradiodoctor.com. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY. Now, When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. 
This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with Rothman Orthopedic Institute's star of shoulder surgery, Dr. Mark Lazarus. Mark, we were talking about uh, shoulder replacements. And a regular replacement, you would replace the ball of the upper arm bone or the humerus. You'd replace the ball with the ball or the socket with the socket in the shoulder girdle. And then you said sometimes you do a reverse replacement, put the ball in the socket or the socket in the ball or replace them as such. What are some of the examples when you would use a reverse replacement? Because I bet a lot of people, when they hear about that, they come and ask you about it. Yes? I get very many questions about reverse replacement, and and it's become a, a hot topic in shoulder surgery and even in the lay press. And so, so just to review, because it is confusing, and actually when I see patients, I actually carry a model of a reverse replacement in my pocket um, because it's important for patients to see it. So um, for years, we've done anatomic replacement. We replace a ball with a ball, socket with a socket. It works great for osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis because those rotator cuff muscles are there to hold it steady and in place, to hold the ball in the shallow socket. Um, But with that special kind of arthritis, rotator cuff arthritis, um, there is no rotator cuff to hold the ball steady. And so what we've done is we, we've come up with a reverse replacement. And what reverse replacement means is the ball side, which is normally on our arm, which in, in shoulder replacement is the metal side, then goes on the socket on our shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. And then the plastic side, um, which is the cup, um, goes on our arm. And by doing that, it, it, the, the prosthesis centers itself and it links itself together and it doesn't need a rotator cuff to hold it stable and it doesn't need a rotator cuff to move it. All it needs is a deltoid muscle, which is the large round muscle on the outer shoulder. So it's really revolutionized um, the care of arthritis in the shoulder. The, the, the specific indication is, is that rotator cuff tear arthritis and that we talked about earlier, the arthritis that comes from having a longstanding rotator cuff tear. But there are other um, circumstances where um, reverse replacement is the primary replacement. Um, One of them is for fractures about the shoulder. So some fractures about the shoulder can't be repaired. And so we used to replace a shoulder with a regular replacement, but it doesn't work that well for fracture. And so reverse replacement is revolutionized fracture care of the shoulder. The other place that reverse replacement Um, comes into play is revision surgery. So somebody who's had a shoulder replacement, for instance, that that has not turned out well. Um, In the old days, it was very difficult to salvage that situation, but reverse replacement um, has become our primary mode of of revision replacement. And we have published a number of studies out of our shoulder and elbow center looking at Revision of a regular to a regular, revision of a regular to a reverse, revision and revision to reverse always works out best. So again, it's really revolutionized mm-hmm. the, the care, uh, the shoulder replacement realm. Because when you first mentioned the term reverse replacement, that's what I thought you meant, that it was some type of revision, revision surgery. Oh, I had my shoulder uh, replaced 10 years ago and I'm having trouble again. So that was a beautiful explanation for our listeners and when you when something is so clear and and appears to be so effective, it seems like you know you just say why didn't we think of that years ago? Uh, it, it's just brilliant, really. Um, so if a patient has the need for shoulder surgery, what's the most important question a patient should ask their surgeon prior to surgery? 
That's a, another really good question. And what's interesting is the most important question, when patients do ask it, they're embarrassed to ask it, and they should not be. When you're talking about shoulder surgery, the most important question that you want to ask your surgeon is how many of that specific procedure do they do in a year? Um, the, the, in shoulder surgery and in much of orthopedic surgery, uh, the literature is very, very clear. The outcomes and the complication rate are related to surgeon volume and hospital volume. The more of that procedure that your surgeon does and the more of that procedure that is done in the hospital that your surgeon operates, your outcome will be better and your complication rate will be, will be less, period, end of story. So that's by far the most you, by far the most important question to ask. Patients are always embarrassed when they ask me. I say you shouldn't be. That's the that's the most important question yeah. you should ask. So you raised two very good points because if you are have the setup and you have a, a team and it's a rhythm for you to do this pretty complex. Not everybody does uh, the reverse replacements. Uh, and revision surgery, you certainly want to go to somebody who's really experienced and obviously not a general orthopedic surgeon, but um, that if you have the team and it's not second nature, but they, they do it all day, every day, you're in much better hands. And the second thing I always tell patients, uh, you know, I'm a specialist as well. And if I see somebody who has, say, they're referred for screening colonoscopy and I find something upsetting like colon cancer, they don't know me from Adam, and I have to tell them that bad news. That I don't have a long-term relationship like their primary. And I say, you know, you have colon cancer, and this is how I think we should approach it. I say right from the bat, if you want a second opinion, may, you have to be comfortable. And any doctor who says, what, you're asking me questions, you might want to shift gears anyway, right? I mean, that's part of being humble and, and being a, a, the great doctor that you are, that you're willing to say, listen, uh, um, you should be asking that. Yeah. I'm giving you permission. And, and there and there are times that that um, you're exactly right. There are times that a patient will will clearly be, be asking me questions that I'm struggling to answer in a way that they're understanding. And and we'll go through mm -hmm. it several times. And there are very often times that I'll say, "Look, it. I think you should get another opinion." And then, um, you know, I'm happy to see you back after that. And maybe, you know, maybe by getting another opinion, uh, we can focus our conversation more and, and, and get you the answers that you need. So, no, if you're, if you're, if you're, it surgeon, increases their confidence at, in if, you. If, if you're, if that, it's very easy. If you're seeing a surgeon and that surgeon is upset with you getting a second opinion, then you probably need a different That's surgeon. That's my point. Yeah, you probably need a different exactly. surgeon. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what I, I totally agree. So rehab post-surgery. We want to talk about two things before the segment ends. Let's touch on rehab. We talked earlier about that is just as important as the surgery. And um, we want to talk about some of the, the newer therapies that are being discussed in, in the news and, and in patients' minds, stem cells and platelet-rich plasma. Let's talk about rehab. Yeah, rehab is really critical. Um, and, and in particular, rotator cuff. Rotator cuff is is an operation that tightens the shoulder. Um, it, it, um, it can be a early on a somewhat painful operation. Um, and, and it is really difficult early on to get patients moving. And, and to, you mentioned frozen shoulders, by far the biggest complication of rotator cuff repair. And so, so the, the rehab after rotator cuff repair is really essential. With my cuff patients, I'll, I always tell them, you know, surgery gets you 10% of the way there. Um, the rest is, mm. is, is, is you at home with your exercises and you with your therapist. 
Um, you know, what's mm-hmm. really interesting is shoulder replacement is exactly the opposite. So shoulder replacement, uh, patients don't need therapy at all. So patients need home exercise and patients start home exercise the day after surgery. But 90% of patients after shoulder replacement can do the entire post-operative rehab program on their own. It's still important. It's critically important, but it's not something that needs supervised therapy. Um, Whereas rotator Mm -hmm. cuff repair, absolutely, it's where the therapist earns their keep. What an important distinction, because I think sometimes after something like rotator cuff, you need guidance to know how far to push or pull. I think that's a fear of some people. Am I going to hurt what's been done? But, you know, post-op, obviously you've done this kajillions of times, you know uh, how far to tell a patient to go. Um, Mark, what about stem cells that are in the news and platelet-rich plasma? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so platelet-rich plasma, uh, for those um, that may not have heard the term, is when our own blood is spun down to the platelets, which have healing, um, healing capacity and capability. And then those can be injected um, into different joints. They can be pasted into joints, um, onto different tissues uh, to promote healing. Um, the, the, the data in the shoulder is still really iffy. And so they've been used for rotator cuff. Um, you would think that if you could, if you could inject your rotator cuff, as I mentioned before, right, it's, it's a degenerative process. And so if you could, if you could help that along with things like platelet-rich plasma, um, that might be of some benefit. Um, but as of now, the, the data is still out as to whether or not it, it can really benefit. Stem cells is the holy grail of, of biologics of orthopedics. If we could, if we could convince a stem cell line to then become, for instance, cartilage, or you could, you could, you could solve arthritis with an injection or to transform into tendon cells. You could solve rotator cuff tearing right now that, that, um, ability doesn't exist. And so the, the, the data on stem cells as a treatment in particular for arthritis of the shoulder does not exist. There is no good data. And it's, it's kind of frustrating for me uh, to see how many patients come in and have spent thousands and thousands of dollars out of their own pocket uh, for stem cell injections for shoulder arthritis um, when, when as, as of this point in time, the literature just doesn't recommend that. It doesn't suggest that it works. And so the promise is amazing. The promise is great. Um, and, and at some point in the future, we will understand how to use um, these biologics. Um, but as of now, I would, I would encourage um, your listeners um, with shoulder arthritis to not pay out of pocket for stem cell therapy. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, I think people have a general idea of what stem cells are, but they're in a developing embryo when the egg meets the sperm, it's two cells divided into four, into eight, into 16. Those early cells have potential to become liver cells or kidney cells or bone cells. So stem cells that still live in our bone marrow, you know, scientists are trying to teach them to obey the rule and say, you know, it'd be nice if we could, instead of you deciding to become new red blood cells, why don't you become cartilage cells? That's the philosophy behind it. Yes. Or the the scientific theory that if we can wave a wand and say, come here, little stem cells, instead of becoming toenails, why don't you become new cartilage cells? And wouldn't it be just magical if we could do that? And maybe we're on our way to it, but, um, that's why we just keep thinking. If everybody thought the same thing, we wouldn't be thinking, right? So uh, let's take a little break and we'll come back for our wrap up. Thank you, Mark. 
Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at rothmanortho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And welcome back for our final segment with Dr. Mark Lazarus from Rothman Orthopedic Institute. Mark, we've learned so much helpful information, really important information about shoulder diseases and treatment. This is our final segment called Your Weekly Prescription. A wrap-up of the show brought to us by Genentech, the first biotech company in the United States. Mark, what are the take-home messages for our listeners? Uh, thanks, Marion. There are four things that I thought of. And um, the first one is um, we haven't touched upon prevention. And as, as um, we're aging and, and we're still trying to stay active, I would encourage people, um, as we get older, a high-repetition, low-impact um, low load type weightlifting program is is going to keep you healthy, keep you strong, um, but not be detrimental to your tendons of your shoulder, particularly your rotator cuff. It's high impact, sudden ballistic movements um, that cause people to have rotator cuff failure. So right, that's exactly. So you might, she, that's right. You might recommend then, against then, that I, um, uh, overhead. Exercise yeah, machine. I, I can. I guess your listeners can't see you, Marianne. Right now, you're doing you're doing um, either calisthenics or the YMCA dance. In, in, but 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 yes, that that's uh, you, you know you can do overhead press, but everything should be slow, controlled. Um, again, well controlled, high high repetition, low fatiguing, sudden presses, sudden ballistic movements are are what's going to get your rotator cuff. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the second thing I would say, and, and we brought it up earlier, is don't fear a visit to the shoulder surgeon. Now, the majority of the patients that I see do not end up needing a surgery. And in particular, rotator cuff tear, that, those fearful words um, shouldn't um, be fearful. Uh, the vast majority of people with rotator cuff tears get better with exercise. Uh, the, the third, the third thing um, that we've touched upon um, and I want to reiterate is 
if you do have a problem that needs surgery, the vast majority of problems that you can have in a shoulder are treated with minimally invasive outpatient arthroscopic surgery. And the arthroscope has has really uh, revolutionized the treatment of rotator cuff tearing, of unstable shoulders, of various other pathologies that you can get in the shoulder. And so, so even if you do end up needing surgery, it's also not something to fear. It's really a, a simple procedure to go through. And then the final thing, um, just to touch upon again, is shoulder replacement. Uh, shoulder replacement is is really uh, uh, has has reached its own. You know, shoulder replacement lagged behind hip and knee replacement in terms of uh, development, in terms of design, um, in terms of technique, and 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 this has really become the era of shoulder replacement with with the changes we've made in regular replacements, um, with uh, the development of the reverse replacements. We've we've developed things like stemless replacements, replacements without without any stem at all in the arm. They just sit on the top of the arm. And so, so the design process in, in shoulder replacement surgery, this is the golden age of that. And, and it's really worked to the benefit of patients. And I think uh, you said something else very important, uh, Mark. Don't be shy. Ask the surgeon that you meet. This is a, an important surgery. How experienced are you? How many of these cases have you done? And if the the doctor, if he or she shies away and, and seems a little uh, uh, offended, then it's time to look in a different direction. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know we have um, the largest, busiest shoulder service um, in the country by far um, at the Rothman Institute, and and uh, and we pride ourselves on. Um, doing a high volume of things like rotator cuff repair, shoulder replacement, and being experts at it, and and not only developing the the, the techniques and designing the prosthesis, but um, doing the research that demonstrates the effectiveness yes. of these procedures and lecturing, you know, nationally and internationally on these procedures. So yeah. um, our entire service is devoted to advancing uh, the field of shoulder surgery. It's alpha to omega. And I think even my, in my own experience, when I lecture to community or lecture to other physicians, it keeps you sharp. And as you repeat the words, you, you think about things you may not have thought before that can help your research. And it's uh, one big healthy cycle, really, Mark. If somebody wanted to make an appointment with one of the physicians in the shoulder and elbow service, what number would they call? Uh, Thanks. Thankfully, Marianne, you asked me to get this because I didn't know it before I, I <laughs> sat down to do this, but my nurse was right by my side. It's it's 1-800-321-9999. Beautiful. That's pretty easy to remember. 1-800-321-9999. And even though you have your own number, if people forget, they can always call 1-800-JEFF-NOW and they will refer you to the Rothman Institute. And the website, if people want to, what's great about your website is there's so much that's explained clearly with diagrams and, and so much helpful information, but it also talks about lectures in the community and where you could go to hear a Rothman lecture and where you could go for an appointment. Um, I, I'm telling patients when and listeners when I remember that the Rothman Institute is now in just outside Orlando, Florida, which is great. And I and I say to people, you know, if you have an elective procedure like a hip replacement or a knee replacement or shoulder, uh, 
go down in October, November and recuperate in warm weather. I mean, it's a brilliant idea. Go Rothman. We have a great shoulder surgeon down there. Yes. Well, maybe you should go down for a couple months a year down, down there too, Mark, and open up shop. Mark Lazarus, thank you. It's clear why people call you a gentleman and a scholar. You, your explanations are superb, and people were really uplifted by your hopeful comments today. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks again for inviting me. And now for your real champion, I call this segment, Like Father, Like Son. Most of us will never experience homelessness and the feelings of fear, humiliation, and desperation that it brings. Where do I find a safe place to sleep? When will I eat again? Where do I find a public restroom? When will I be able to shower again? Who can help me with this toothache or fever? In our land of plenty, it's hard to fathom that so many people live on the street, barely sheltered in cardboard boxes, exposed to the coldest nights of winter and the muggiest days of summer. Nameless faces feeling forgotten and losing hope. These images should keep us awake at night. Well, Leo Carland has done more than empathize with his brothers and sisters without shelter. He has committed over 20 years to volunteering with projects that support the most vulnerable. And it comes as no surprise that Leo had a stellar role model. His father, the senior Leo Carlin, was the ticket manager for the Philadelphia Eagles for 55 years until 2015 and was always involved in the Eagles' charitable works as well as being a pillar in the annual Catholic Charities Appeal for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. In 2003, rock legend John Bon Jovi came to Philadelphia on a special mission to form a team in the new indoor arena football league called Philadelphia Soul. What was unique about this venture? The idea to use the team as a way to give back to the community. Any money they made would be given away. That's when John Bon Jovi reached out to Leo Carlin, Jr., that is. Leo had plenty of experience working with his dad and learning the business of football. He also had a great track record of community service. For many years, he had volunteered for Covenant House. Founded in 1972, Covenant House is the largest privately funded agency in the Americas helping homeless kids, providing 24-7 crisis care and ongoing support now in 33 cities and six countries, serving close to 50,000 young people each year. Leo, Jr., was chairman of the board of Covenant House Pennsylvania and also chair of the board of the Citizens Advisory Committee for Delaware County Children and Youth Services. Since 2003, Leo Carlin has led the charge as president of the John Bon Jovi Soul Foundation. What began with localized efforts of the Philadelphia Soul football team has quickly expanded to a national presence with the goal of rebuilding pride in oneself and one's community one soul at a time. In 2006, the foundation connected with Sister Mary Scullion of Project Home, Habitat for Humanity, and Saturn, and has provided more than 1,000 units of affordable housing in 11 states. There are also two large soul kitchens in Red Bank and Toms River, New Jersey, where 51% of the customers pay their check and add a little extra to buy a meal for the 49% who can't pay. More about that in a future Real Champion segment. 
Most recently, the foundation joined Help USA, a national housing nonprofit, along with the City of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Housing Authority and Housing Development Corporation, and JBJ Soul Foundation was the largest private funder for the renovation of the former Reynolds School in North Philadelphia and created 55 units of housing for seniors and homeless veterans. Leo explains that joining forces helped address a huge need in this community by providing a safe place for people to call home, but also services that can help shape the rest of their lives. The foundation also supports Covenant House and recently helped add a new building with 15 more units for young people in crisis. Like his father, Leo is gentle, generous, and humble. He gives all the credit to other colleagues and hesitates to talk about his own contributions. In 2012, he was honored by Covenant House with the Beacon of Hope Award for his longtime commitment and work in Philadelphia. What makes Leo tick? Well, as Leo sees it, he's had a lot of opportunities in his own life, and there are many people who don't have opportunities through no fault of their own. It's important to give these people some of those same opportunities. Leo is an alumnus of St. Joe's Prep and College of the Holy Cross. And after those eight years of Jesuit education, he embodies the Jesuit motto to live as a man for others. We salute you, Leo Carlin, your real champion. Thank you for listening to our show this evening and every Saturday at five o'clock here on WPHT. Listen to any of our shows again on yourradiodoctor.com. Send us a story of a champion in your family, office, or community, or let us know if there's a topic you'd like to hear about. Send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America and Rothman Orthopedic Institute, and our newest sponsor, Genentech, the first biotech company in the U.S., if you'd like to partner in the show, send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Friends, as you listen to the news, you'll hear there's a shortage of lifeguards and fewer beaches with coverage. Please keep a close eye on your children and any family members who go into the water, especially if you're on a beach without lifeguards. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, safe week, always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. 
Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. 